Uh, if you're still of a donut mind, there's some good stuff back there from uh, this place that Jonathan found. Where is it again, Jonathan? We want to give them business. Big Easy Beignets. Big Easy Beignets. So, check them out. Y'all ready to get started? So, the four G's. Anybody chewed on that this past week? Any at all? No? Hadn't thought of hadn't thought a bit about it since we walked out of here on last Sunday, Jason, be quite honest with you. <clears throat> Four weeks ago we started this series again uh, from the book You Can Change by Tim Chester. We want to uh, examine, root out the cause of sinful behavior, negative emotions, exposing the hidden beliefs that drive that behavior. And today we're going to continue unpacking that second 4G that God is gracious. So lightning round review real quick. Belief governs behavior. When our head, what we know, and what our heart, what we believe, aren't working in harmony, we call that what? Spiritual dissonance. All sin, all negative emotion is a result of believing a lie about God, a lie about His nature. So, last week we started the second 4G, God is Gracious. Anybody remember the tagline for that or the finish in the thought? God is gracious, so therefore, what? I don't have to do what? I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself. So, key points from last week. Grace at its root, its simplest meaning is what? Come on, who was paying attention? That's what it means, but at its the root word of grace is what? It's gift. Very good. Yes, it's gift. Not wage, not salary, not reward. It's gift. And we had those definitions. Judgment is getting what we what we deserve. Mercy. Not getting what we deserve. Grace. Getting what you do not deserve, yes. And God is gracious. God wants to give us what we don't deserve. And I spent a lot of time last week digressing on how that that offends our morality or it messes with our sense of morality, that God wants to give us what we don't deserve. Uh, It's true for most of us anyway that our definition of morality gets offended whenever bad people don't get, whenever bad people don't get what they deserve, at least according to our morality, the way we see things. You're a bad person. You did such and such. You should get this. And whenever that doesn't happen, our sense of morality gets offended. Or whenever good people, in our minds, get, don't get what they do deserve. Both of those things throw, throw our morality out of whack. And we've got to fight that because it's going to come up in our lives. And the way it, it comes up in my life is, now wait a minute, hold on, God. Uh, I've been doing all of this awesome stuff. I've been really good. I've done exactly what the good Sunday school teacher and what the pastor told me. And so, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? That's, that's, that's our real God talking right there. That's, that's, and our God is our good works. Our God is our performance. Our God is what I've done. And that's not necessarily... <laughs> 
not necessarily. It's not how it works in God's economy because He's gracious. It's a gift. It's a gift. He gives. And so I made this point last week. Whenever something bad happens and we bring up our resume to God, hey, listen, I know you're the Almighty Creator and everything, but look at all these great things I've done and we've got them listed by bulleted points, uh, alphabetized about everything that we've done to quote-unquote toe the line, then that's a really good opportunity. The next time that happens to you, that's a real good opportunity for you to examine, okay, what, what's the hidden belief that's ticking around inside there? Uh, that, that's hidden beliefs about God that aren't true. That's a messed up perspective of grace. And this is where we left off last week. Grace is scandalous. Grace is shocking. Grace is radical. If it's not scandalous, radical, and shocking, we don't get it. I don't get it, and you don't get it. Not that you don't get it as in understand it. You don't get it as in, no, you can't have it. It's got to be that radical. Otherwise, none of us can have it. And so we, to illustrate that, we took a little field trip last week. Remember, we went to death row. But this is not death row where sometimes we get it wrong and the wrong person gets gets executed for something they really didn't do. In this death row, judgment is perfect every time. These people are truly guilty, and it's the worst of the worst. The ones that commit those stomach-churning, heinous acts of evil, the Bin Ladens and the Ted Bundys and the ISIS and the, the human traffickers and the child molesters and the rapists, that's who's there, and every one of them's guilty. And the angel walks up to one of those cells at random and says, let this guy go. He's released. You're free to go. And how that, how that makes us feel. Wait a minute. You, you did something so awful and, and, and you are truly guilty. You des- this is what you deserve, but now you're going free. That's how shocking, that's how scandalous grace has to be. And if we don't allow that level, that severity of grace to exist and, and really sink in to our hearts, then, then we're not getting what's happened to every single one of us. Now I'm talking about you're not understanding. You're not understanding what's happened to every single one of us if you don't let that get in there. And what's happening there is we, we tend to slip in, it's easy for most of us anyway, to slip in this doctrine of, of mixture. The really, really bad people should get everything that they deserve, but the kind of okay people like me shouldn't get what I really deserve. It's a doctrine of mixture. I mean, well, yeah, God is obviously gracious. I mean, look at all this cool and awesome stuff I do. You want to make it really awkward, you put the thing that you're doing into that statement. Well, I mean, I don't know where the world would be if I didn't have the prayer life I have. I mean, if I didn't teach as awesome as I teach, then, I mean, just the whole church would fall apart and go to hell. And we hate, no, we hate that too. That's... That's, we, we understand, no, that's, that's disgusting to even think, but we think that way. In the privacy of our hearts, we think that way. Look at what I'm doing. I'm pulling my weight, I'm towing, I'm towing the line. God, when are you going to start pulling your side of things? We justify, or we want to at least, we want to justify God's goodness toward us. Because we don't like, that, yeah, that's fair for all of us, not just Jason, all of you. You don't like suffering under grace. 
Did you catch that? What do you mean, Jason? What are you talking about? Suffering under grace. I heard this awesome story. A, um, a visiting minister went to the, to the country of Sudan. I've never been to Sudan. Okay, I've never immersed myself in the culture. What I know about Sudan comes from Nat Geo. Okay, and, and hearing people talk about it. But I heard this story. Uh, cool story. Very, very different environment than what we're used to here in the U.S., this visiting minister traveled to the home of a local pastor. He's a pastor in, in a local village. And it, it was a home typical of the region. Now, And what it is, is it's, it's sticks cut down from the forest and lined on the inside and outside with a mixture of manure and mud that's hard-baked. That's their building material. Put the same stuff on the floor. And, you, I mean... Come on, we talked about this with the Grishel stuff. We can compare ourselves to the 1% that have way more than we have and feel disadvantaged. Or we can compare ourselves to the other 99% of the world's population and realize how blessed we are. Anyway, the, the people... That's a little side. That's extra. The people of the village, they put together what they would call, by their standards, it was a, it was a feast to honor these ministers that had come into their uh, come into the country, come to their village. And if we were to do comparatively what they did, it would absolutely wreck us financially. Because the, the feast that they put on, it was six months wages. Six months wages to pay for that. To honor these ministers for coming to their country. And whenever one of the uh, American uh, ministers found out how much it, it cost, he strongly, strongly opposed, no, no, this is not right. They, they cannot do this. I, I can't be a part of this. That's, that's too much. That's too extravagant. And the, one of the local missionaries who understood the customs of the time took him outside and said, you absolutely will take part. I'm, I'm going to pay them. I, I'll, I'll pay them back. I'll, I'll give some money to help offset the cost. No, you will not. You will not dishonor their gift. You will not dishonor their generosity. You will suffer under their generosity. Now, come on, somebody. Somebody has been so gracious. Somebody has been so generous to me. It's, it's suffering under His grace. It's suffering under His gift. And, and who wouldn't want to suffer under being freed from sin? Who wouldn't want to suffer under being set free from all of the junk that was in our lives. But you're not going to pay that back. I can't, you can't. I can't. Cosmically, universally it's impossible. But we don't like feeling this sense of obligation. Somebody does something nice for you. I... You come home and your grass has been mowed. Just randomly. You didn't do it. Your husband and wife didn't do it. Wasn't one of your kids. 
somebody did that for you. Somebody takes you out. This is okay. Somebody takes you out to dinner. You say, hey, let's meet for lunch. They're like, yeah, okay. You plan to pay for your part. But they say, no, the check is mine. What do you start immediately? You start plotting. You start scheming. I'm I'm, going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. We're generally thankful, but I I mean, I've seen people getting knocked down drag out just about over who's going to pay the check. Not that reciprocating someone's good toward us is a bad thing, but hidden in those gestures can be the idea that I don't want anyone to control me with their generosity. I don't want their gift to force me into an obligation of being being good back. Almost, okay, how many of you... Honestly, you clench up a little bit whenever somebody says the word free. It's free. You immediately you it's pucker factor of eleven. Because you think there's gonna be strings attached. We we don't trust it. We have learned to be just suspicious and distrustful of generosity. And none more than the goodness and the generosity, the graciousness of God. And God, He wants us, He wants us so desperately to just to believe at a heart level in His generosity and His goodness toward us that's not connected to our behavior. It's not connected to our good works. It's connected to His character. God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. And we have such a hard time accepting that. So we, what, what I do, and what you do too, is we make these weird obligatory arrangements with grace. We enter into these strange contracts, Brian, with grace. Okay, I... I I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to work really hard. That way I'm going to pay off this sense of grace debt that I have. That's not the gospel. The Lord freely set you free so that you could freely respond to the gospel. He set it up so that you could choose to respond and how to respond to His gift of grace. (laughs) Jesus didn't come here to trade one sense of obligation for another. Okay? He didn't didn't come to give us the law version 2.0. He didn't have to come up with a new way to make us feel obligated. That was the law obligated you just fine. It didn't need any help from Jesus. The law obligated you. And you know what? It didn't work. Because what the law showed us is God saying, these are my expectations of you. You can't meet them. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet them for you. That's how good He is. 
We, we already tried the law thing. We already tried the sense of obligation thing. We already tried the list of rules thing, and it doesn't work. So what you couldn't do, what you couldn't get right, I came and did for you. I justified you unto myself. I justified you to me. That's how much, and here, here's the kicker, guys, that's how much I want to be with you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I want to spend time with you and get close to you that I am going to make you right to myself. Your sin separates us. And I gave you a plan for bypassing that sin separation. It's called the law of Moses and you can't do it. You keep perverting it. You keep messing it up. So now I'm going to come to you in your stead and do it for you. I'm going to do the God part, which is forgive, and I'm going to do the human part, which is sacrifice, but I've done it all for you. Now, all you have to do is believe, is respond, is remember, is accept that that's how much you mean to me. And I don't know about y'all, my brain, this is about the point where my brain goes into vapor lock. Like it's just chugging along and and throws a rod, Tommy. Something, something crams up in there at that point. Because it's too much. Ben, it's, it's too extravagant. It's, it's too nice of a gift, Greg. And I, this is, this is too good. God, let me pay you. It's <laughs> All of us have been there. It's the, God, if you'll just get me out of this mess, I've made, I promise I will. Jugga, 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 jugga. Just about every single one of us in here made a statement like that at some point. Because we can't truly grasp that His desire to reach in and pull us out of our mess is just genuine love and He's not trying to contract us, obligate us, dutify us, if that's even a word, I just made it up, okay, now it is, into anything. We can't accept a grace that doesn't have strings attached. So what do we do? We try to prove ourselves. We try to prove ourselves. We try, and there's three ways we try to prove ourselves. First of all, we try to prove ourselves to ourselves. When we mess up, we feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel bad. So we try to distance ourselves from sin by rejecting grace and embracing something called karma. Right? What's karma? Yeah. Do the crime, do the time. You did the deed, now you get what you get. That's, that's karma. That's why Judas hung himself after betraying Christ. He had messed up and he knew, I, did, I have messed up so bad, I deserve to die. There's no forgiveness for me for what I've done. I deserve to die. That's not grace talking. That's karma talking. 
You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. You get what you deserve. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Well, Jason, don't you read your Bible? The Bible says that you reap what you sow. Right? Come on. Yeah, you're right, it does. In Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For what one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap of the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Awesome. But let's get real. How many of us have actually reaped what we have sown in our works? Folks, I'm telling you right now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have sown that I have never seen come to bear fruit in my life. You know what Jesus Christ represents for every single one of us? Crop failure. Jesus comes in and says, Whoa! No! We got to get the DDT, the, the Asian orange, the pesticide. I don't want you to eat that. That is, that is too bad for you. No, you're not going to have that. I'm going to fail the crop of the seed you have sown. I have in my notes right here, big words, kill it. That's what Jesus does. He comes in and He he kills it with grace. And there's power that comes with the realization that I don't have to do everything perfectly to earn grace or to feel good about myself. You don't have to justify your existence. What y'all think about that? God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself to myself. God's gracious. So I don't have to prove myself to others. This is the second way that we try to prove ourselves. We try to prove ourselves to others. When I try to prove myself to someone in order to feel okay. To feel right. Like everything's in its place. To feel justified and worthy of salvation. Because whenever I do that, and, and, and we've got interpersonal relationships that are just, they're, they're all kinds of twisted and crazy with, with our spouse, with our parents, with, uh, my goodness, with pastoral authority. We get some really twisted and messed up thinking about those relationships. And what happens whenever I try to prove myself uh, to that other person, I'm essentially making them a functional savior. They set the standard. Not Jesus, but this flawed human being is now setting the standard. And we force ourselves to live how we think they want instead of how Christ wants us to live. And so what do we do? 
we perform. We, we wear masks and we fill the role to prove how great we are. And guys, it is draining us. It's, it's killing us. I picked up a book uh, in Birmingham this, this, uh, this past week by, y'all are going to hate it whenever I even say this name, Craig Rochelle. It's called Drop the Pose. And he starts off the book with a foreword about 10 things I hate about Christians. Joel Olstein book. Yeah. I'm going to leave that to you, John. You pick up some Joel Olstein and come present that to us, okay? We can all go out here, you know, riding unicorns and chasing butterflies. <laughs> Joel Olstein. <laughs> That's good for you. You need that. We need to kill that stuff. We try to prove ourselves to God. We have this strong desire to self-atone. This strong desire to, to make it right with our own actions. We try to do something to make God act favorably toward us. Now, we do it, but it's ridiculous whenever you say it that way. Like, I'm going to manipulate the Almighty? Really? I'm going to somehow manipulate God into feeling better about me than he would otherwise. That's crazy talk. But we think that God will be more impressed by us or love us more if we're better than we were the day before. If we're really good, if we're out there exhausting ourselves in service, then God's going to like me better. I don't, I don't know how to put it any plainer than that. We make ourselves slaves to religion. We make ourselves slaves to rules. Now, okay, let's, let's make this real plain. Modern day, right out here working in the yard of, of Grace Church of Central, there are slaves. I'm talking chains, the whole nine yards. And Pastor goes out there. Now, while we would have slaves out here working, I don't know, but just run with it. He goes out there and he says, you guys are free. I don't want you here working as a slave. You're free. Go do what you want to do. You're free. You don't have to stay here and work. Take the chains off and go. How appalled would we be knowing what the life of a slave is like to see... Nine out of ten leave and go do their thing, but then one come back and willingly pick up the chains and put them back on his hands and feet and continue to labor as a slave. How We wouldn't just laugh and think that's ridiculous. That would break our hearts. Well, that's exactly what some of us do whenever Jesus comes and says, this is my gift to you, you are free, and we pick up the chains of rules and regulations to try to make Him pleased with us. Rules, regulations, religion, whatever you want to put in that blank. Once again, it's, it's the law version 2.0 and it doesn't work any better than 
it's kind of like Windows. It doesn't work any better than the first one did. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Y'all listen to this in the context of what we've been talking about before, uh, up to this point. And this is from the New Living Translations, Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is rich in mercy. And He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you were saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are reunited with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and His kindness toward us as shown in all that He has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. In John chapter 6, verses 28-29, as people came to Jesus, they watched Him perform all these miracles. They said, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? We, we, want, we want to do all that cool stuff too. We want to do the work of God too, just like you're doing Jesus. What, what do we need to do? You know what He told them? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the One He has sent. And... We're all sitting here today. We're like, no, no, that's too easy. That's not hard enough. That doesn't bend my back. That doesn't make me break a sweat. If we want to please God, we can only do so by believing in Jesus. Our work, our performance cannot merit, prove, or earn anything. God is gracious. It, it, God is a giver and not a taker. I'm going to wrap this up. I'll leave you with a, this cool story. In November of 2012, Jordan Howe, a 14-year-old student at South Miami-Dade High School, took his stepfather's pistol from its hiding place in the bedroom closet and brought it to school. He just wanted to show off the weapon to his friends Hal boarded the bus, walked to the back, and allowed a friend to load a bullet. According to a witness, Hal began playing with it, pulling the trigger and aiming around like pretending. But then Hal lifted the gun toward a 13-year-old girl named Gina Guzman de Jesus and pulled the trigger. The bullet struck the girl in the neck and eventually killed her. 
Jordan Howe immediately confessed, pleading guilty to manslaughter with a deadly weapon, among other charges. Two years later, in June of 2014, the victim's mother, Addie Guzman de Jesus, faced her daughter's killer in court. But instead of rage and revenge, she gave Jordan Howe a tearful hug. I'm sorry, Howe stammered, as Guzman de Jesus wrapped her arms around him, fighting back his own tears. It was part of an extraordinary gesture of forgiveness from a grieving mother who also blessed a plea deal that would allow Howe to avoid going to prison completely. Miami-Dade Circuit Court Judge Ellen Sue Venzer said, In 20 years I have watched human tragedy unfold in this courtroom. I could have never imagined a victim's mother embracing her child's killer. Howe will remain under the supervision of the Florida Department of Juvenile Justice until he's 21 years old. He also speaks to schools about the dangers of gun violence at least 12 times a year alongside the mother of the girl he killed. What an incredible picture of how our lives with Jesus are meant to be played out. Guilty, yes, but forgiven. And standing with Him, giving testimony of the grace that has been given to us. I'll be all right in just a minute. So where do we go from here? First of all, I acknowledge how I've been trying to prove my own worth, prove my own value by fill in the blank. Whatever fits there for you, Rachel, whatever fits there for you, Sarah, John, whatever fits there for you, acknowledge this is how I've been trying to prove my worth and my value. You fill in the blank. Acknowledge that. Confess that belief to God. God, I know this is messed up, but I have been trying to prove my value to you and to others by acting this way, by doing this, whatever that is. Acknowledge it and confess it. And then repent of distrusting God's grace and His giving nature. God, I've been working so hard trying to prove my value. And I realize that at the core of that, it means that I haven't been trusting you for everything that you are. And God, I'm sorry for trusting in my own effort more than I trust in the work you've done. And I'm sorry for trusting in the approval of other people more than I trust in your approval. Next, we ask God to help us. And this has to be a God thing, folks. This, this part right here has to be all God. I really don't believe we can do this part by ourselves. But we ask God to help us embrace the gospel at a heart level like we haven't in the past. 
God, I've been in this thing since I was 12 years old. You filled me up with the Holy Ghost. And it's a process and it's a journey that you've been bringing me on to get me up to this place right here. But what I'm asking you to do is to help me internalize and believe your gospel in a way that I never have before. Help me to do that because I I don't know how else to do it myself. Help me. Jesus, help me to do that. I I believe He'll help. And then confess with your mouth, God, you are gracious. You are full of grace. And that is so liberating to me because that means I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove prove anything to myself. I don't have to prove anything to anybody else. And I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm not going to blame this on Jesus. I don't know if I felt the Holy Ghost move in here a little while ago or if it's just my own pent-up emotions coming out. Okay, But I feel like this spoke to some people today. So no homework assignment. Okay, We're going to do something different next week. We'll set the four G's aside for a little while, take a little break. We'll come back and visit them again in the coming weeks. But... Maybe we just need some time, a little bit of time to chew on something else. So we'll do something else next week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for the gift and what your gift has done. Thank you for freedom. Help us to understand that today, Lord. Help us to really understand and grasp and live in liberty and freedom. Lord, help us because sometimes we don't even know how to help ourselves. Help us to embrace this at a heart level so that our behavior changes. God, that's the whole point of this. We want the stupid stuff we've been doing to change. So... Help us in that regard. Help us to grasp this and believe it in our hearts and not just know it in our heads. Thank you for being so full of grace. In Jesus' name. All right, guys, we're done. Call for questions. Anybody got anything to say?